This morning, we're uh, picking up on our Who Are We series. On and off over the last few months, we've been working through the books of Genesis and Exodus, the first two books of the Bible, and discussing the new identity that God gives to His people. This morning, we're going to be reading Exodus 26, 30 to 37. And I'm going to guess as I read this text, most of you are going to think, why are we reading this today? But I promise you, stick with me, I promise you that you will see how this text matters in our lives by the end of the sermon. But stick with me. Let's read. This is God's word for us today. Set up the tabernacle according to the plan shown you on the mountain. Make a curtain of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and finely twisted linen with cherubim worked into it by a skilled craftsman. Hang it with gold hooks on four posts of acacia wood overlaid with gold and standing on four silver bases. Hang the curtain from the clasps and place the ark of the testimony behind the curtain. The curtain will separate the holy place from the most holy place. Put the atonement cover on the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. Place the table outside the curtain on the north side of the tabernacle and put the lampstand opposite it on the south side. For the entrance to the tent, make a curtain of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and finely twisted linen, the work of an embroiderer. Make gold hooks for this curtain and five posts of acacia wood overlaid with gold and cast five bronze bases for them. This is God's word for us this morning. A number of years ago, a service group from a church here in the United States went to, went to the Dominican Republic, and they constructed, among other things, they constructed a new church building for a small group of believers there. And the building wasn't big, and it wasn't fancy. It maybe was about the size of this platform total, and it was concrete floor, concrete blocks, zinc metal roof. <clears throat> it got a couple windows in it, but just walls with metal shutters, really. And as the group gets close to finishing this building, the pastor of this group, Pastor Diego, comes to inspect it. And Bruce, the leader of the service group, says to him, Diego, how would you like us to, to finish the front of this church? And Bruce is thinking maybe Pastor Diego will say, well, put a cross in the stucco. Or maybe if you could build just a little bit of a porch outside the front door, that would be wonderful. And Pastor Diego thinks about Bruce's question for a minute. And then he goes and he gets his Bible and he flips through it for a while. And then he opens it up and he says, make it look just like this. And what he's found is a picture of the Old Testament temple, a drawing of the Old Testament temple. And it has these two huge columns in the front and a big archway and a massive doorway. And Bruce says, okay. They've got a couple engineers in the group, so they figure out how with concrete blocks they can build these massive pillars in front of this little church, and they even figure out how they can get enough rebar so they can build this huge archway. So they spend their last day working on this little church, building this huge, magnificent front. And as they're doing it and afterwards, they keep thinking, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? We could have made the church like five feet bigger. Why? Why does Pastor Diego want exactly this? Now, we're reading about the tabernacle instead of the temple this morning, but they had basically the same design, and they served basically the same function. They were buildings commissioned by God. God's tabernacle here in Exodus is this building. And when people read this whole section of Exodus, they often, well, if they don't just skim through it, 
they often have that why question come up. I read only a few verses this morning, but Exodus from chapter 25 all the way to chapter 40 reads basically like the section that we read for this morning. There are instructions upon instructions upon instructions for building this tabernacle and fitting it out. And the Lord's instructions, you may have noticed, are fairly precise. The curtains have to be made of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and finely twisted linen. There has to be cherubim, that's a type of angel, woven into these curtains by a skilled craftsman. The posts have to be covered with gold. They have to have acacia good. They have to stand on silver bases. And the list goes on and on and on, chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter here at the end of Exodus. And these chapters seem pretty tedious to us. In fact, even a lot of commentators kind of lump all this together and just blast through it as quickly as they can because all this stuff seems kind of trivial, kind of pointless, kind of why do you have to be so specific about the color of the yarn? But the depth of the detail and the time and the space that the Bible spends laying out the dimensions and all the details of the tabernacle All of that is telling us that something really important is happening here in this text. The Bible's focus here tells us that we need to pay attention to something significant happening here. And this this is what the significance is. The tabernacle is going to be a unique place in the whole world. The tabernacle, when it's complete, is intended to become the most important place in the whole world. And it will be the most important place because it is the place where God will come and dwell right in the midst of His people. And because God is a holy and powerful God, because He is the true Lord, and because He is going to live there, everything needs to be just right. So the people follow God's instructions, sort of. I said a minute ago that Exodus 25 to 40 is basically the story of the tabernacle, and it is. It's details about God telling the people how to build the tabernacle and then them building the tabernacle. But right in the middle of all that, right in the middle of all that, as Moses is up on the mountain getting all these instructions about how to build this house for the Lord to come and live in the midst of his people, right in the middle of that, the people get bored. And they think if one God is good, more gods is better. And they go and they build themselves an idol. Right in the middle of this section when God is preparing to come down and dwell with them. Even with all the instructions the Lord gave him, them, even with all the investment he's made in their lives, this tabernacle wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to really keep the people connected to the true Lord. It, it left them wandering off again and again. And so God himself made a better tabernacle. And that better tabernacle is Jesus Christ. That old tabernacle, the building that we read about, didn't really work. For a time, it brought God and his people closer together, but it didn't really last. But then when we turn to the New Testament, we read the beginning of the Gospel of John, this story of the life of Jesus. John 1.14 tells us that the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. 
the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And that's what we're anticipating. That's what we're celebrating in this season of Advent leading up to Christmas. But the literal word that's translated made his dwelling among us. In the Gospel of John, that word is actually tabernacle. So if we were going to get a really exact translation, we translate the beginning of John as the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Jesus is the new tabernacle. The building of the tabernacle in the Old Testament was just a small sign, just just the barest beginnings of a tiny peak of the glory of Jesus Christ, of God himself who came down and whose glory dwelt among us. Exodus spends so much time on the tabernacle because it wants us to begin to get the glory and the majesty and the beauty and the power of the Lord himself. And then when we look to Jesus, we see the reality of which that tabernacle is a sign. The text that we read for today, even in its little details that seem so trivial, it matters because it's pointing us forward to Jesus Christ. It's a signpost that helps us to understand how significant, how important, how great it is that Jesus came down and tabernacled among us. Now, having said all that, I recognize that for most of us, maybe even all of us, that doesn't sound so significant. It's no surprise to us that Jesus came down and made his dwelling among us. It's it's important, we know, but in a sense, this good news fades into the foreground in our lives. It's always there, and so it doesn't grab hold of us that much anymore. Well, as we've gathered here in Chicagoland, let me, let me ask you a question. When was the last time you really looked at the Willis Tower? <clears throat> or the Sears Tower, if you're a traditionalist. But when was the last time that you really looked at the Willis Tower? It dominates the Chicago cityscape, but we don't too often look at it. But when we do, it's, it's an amazing building. It's an amazing super tall building. And super tall is actually the technical architectural term if you're into that kind of thing. Really precise. But super tall buildings sit in this unique place where they have to deal with all kinds of different forces. The taller a building gets, the more the wind pushes on it. So the taller you go, the more you have to be worried about different forces of wind and weather twisting the building around. So the taller you go, the stronger you have to be to deal with all the forces of nature. But also, the bigger a building gets, the heavier it gets, and the more gravity is a consideration. And if you make a building too heavy, it'll crush itself. Its own weight will bring it down. And so super tall buildings have to sit on this fairly fine line between the forces of wind and the force of gravity and deal with both of them effectively. And the Willis Tower does that in a really interesting way. If you were able to fly above the Willis Tower and look down, it wouldn't look like one tower exactly. It would look like nine. The Willis Tower is actually nine towers built together. And because it's built in that particular way, it's able to take the forces of the wind and and pass it around and not fall over. Because it's built in that particular way, and I'm not going to give you all the details, but it's much, much lighter than if it was just one big structure. 
This is an amazing building that some of us work in. All of us see it with regularity, but we don't often pay attention to it because it's always there. It's a bit of the same thing with Jesus. What he does is amazing. The reality that he has come down to dwell with us is simply tremendous. It changes everything. But because it's always there, we sometimes don't pay as much attention as we should. And really, that's what Exodus 26 and and the whole Bible is trying to get us to do, to pay attention to Jesus, to understand his beauty and his glory and his majesty. The Lord Jesus, the God of the universe, has come down to us and made his dwelling among us. The Lord himself has come down to us. And that is the most important good news you will ever hear in your whole life. The Lord has come to us. And the most important thing in your life, and I am not exaggerating here, the most important question in your life is what you do with Jesus Christ who has come down to be God's dwelling place, to be the place, the person where we meet with God. What you do with Jesus is the most important question ever. And I'm speaking maybe to you if, if you've never really made a heart commitment to Jesus. Now is the time. This is the place. Jesus is the one. But honestly, none of us ever make a one-time commitment to Jesus and then just run on autopilot forever. We need to be continually renewing our commitment. The Bible has a lot of covenant renewal ceremonies where God's people come and they recommit themselves and they remind themselves of how great God is and how this is really the central question of our lives. When we gather here for church every Sunday, we are doing covenant renewal. We are coming to be reminded of who the Lord is and to again look to Him to be at the center of our lives. If we have Jesus... We have everything. If we don't have Jesus, we have nothing. If we have Jesus, we have everything. If we don't have Jesus, we have nothing. But then if we turn to Jesus and we make him the center of our lives along with Jesus, God gives us everything else. In fact, if we belong to Jesus, then God has come to us and he's made us his dwelling place. There are a number of places in the New Testament following up on the Gospels where it tells us, you, you God's people are God's temple, God's tabernacle, God's house. Right now, God's house is not some ancient building in the Middle East and it's not this building, it's you. You and I are God's tabernacle. We are are the sight of God's dwelling on this earth. And that means that all the investment and all the crafting and all the precision that once, that once went into the Old Testament tabernacle is now going in to us. Each of us and all of us together are being built up into the pattern of Jesus Christ. We are God's great project being made just right. If you belong to Jesus, you are being built into an amazing structure. 
If you belong to Jesus, then your life should be showing and will be showing the, the spiritual equivalent of fine yarn and linen and gold and all of these things. And here's another bit of good news. In the Old Testament, the Lord comes and he gives instructions to his people. Do this and this and this. Make the tabernacle this way. But in our time now, the Lord comes to us and he is the one. He is the one who is making his tabernacle. In each of us, God is at work to make us fit dwelling places for him. The Lord intends to do great things in you. Every single little detail of your life and who you are, and all the big stuff too, but even in the tiny, precise little details, the Lord is intending to work in you to make you an amazing place for Him to dwell. You are being built into a tabernacle fit for the Lord God Himself to dwell in. Let me give you an image that C.S. Lewis once, uh, once wrote about. Imagine yourself as a living structure, a living house, if you will. And God comes into you. He descends to, to rebuild that house. And at the beginning, you can see what he's up to. He's fixing the plumbing. He's repairing the leaks in the roof. And you knew all that needed to be done. And you're happy about it. But then God starts, well, he starts knocking around in a way that hurts terribly. And doesn't seem to make any sense. And you wonder, what in the world is the Lord doing to me? And the explanation is that God is building you into quite a different type of structure than you thought you would be. We might be happy to be nice little cottages, to be nice people, to have decent lives. But God intends to make us into a palace. He's throwing out new wings and building new levels and putting towers on and creating courtyards and turning all of us from being these nice people into being amazing places for him to live. The Lord is making us into palaces because he intends to come and live in us forever. Now, we might sometimes be happy just to have a little, little nicer decoration on the front of us. We might be happy to have just our lives look a little better, but God is not going to stop there. He intends to make all of us into people who are greater than we could ever imagine. And as the Lord works in you, as the Lord works in you, He intends to make you more than you can even imagine. If we could fly up and have God's perspective for just a little bit, we would be utterly astonished at what he intends to do in each one of us. The Lord intends to draw us up to heights we could never imagine. He, he intends to make a spiritual skyscraper out of each one of us. We are God's indwelt people. The Lord himself dwells in us. The Lord is building you up to be more than you could ever expect or imagine. May our lives reflect the grace, the beauty, the majesty, and the power of our Lord. Amen. Let's pray.
Father, we give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks for how you worked with your people over the centuries leading up to Jesus. We give you thanks that Jesus was born as a baby and came to live among us. And Father, we give you thanks that by your spirit, you are making us into a place fit for you to dwell. Lord, I pray that you work in each one of us according to our needs and according to your love. Father, if we need to be deeply filled with you again this morning, then open us up to your work. Father, if you're intending to work on some particular detail or part of our lives in the coming days, make us open to that. Help us to be receptive to your grace and to your Spirit's work to transform us. Father, often it's hard for us to see exactly what you're up to, but we pray that you pull back the curtain, help us to see your glory, and help us to see how you are making us into your tabernacle here in this time and place. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.